Well, another happy Tuesday night, everybody, and welcome in another edition of This Week in Hockey. Most importantly, the eve of playoff hockey, This Week in Hockey edition. Along with Joe Vitale, I'm Alex Ferrario, and the Blues are back at it tomorrow night. Vancouver Canucks, Game 1, Round 1 for the Stanley Cup once again. And Joey V, let's start there, buddy. Back to playoff hockey. I'm ha- I am so freaking happy we are done with round robin play oh. because I'm done explaining to people that well it's it's not an exhibition game. Mm. They matter, but they don't matter. Like let's get into what matters now. That was more painful than the preseason, Alex. I mean that was that bad. Where because you were like you didn't know what to do. At least in the preseason. Everyone's on the same page. You're, whoever you're playing, they don't want to be there as much as you don't want to be there. They're trying to get like nine of the stars out there. You got to match your nine stars and you got to play a game, hopefully injury free, and then you move on. But the Blues are playing games where some of their co- competitors are boom, they're all over the place. Yeah. And then some games it was very just dry and uh, benign. So it, it, I'm glad it's over. I'm really glad it's over. The eve of playoffs, I kind of got the juices flowing. Do like you? It's, it's like Christmas Eve. <laughs> I got to lay out the cookies and the carrots for the reindeer and all that kind of good stuff. I'm excited. Do you eat the cookies and carrots when you lay them out? No, Santa does. Oh, yeah, that's right. Durr. Durr. <laughs> Durr. I'll have to get into that right mindset whenever I have kids. Santa does. Santa does. Santa does. Yep. Um, tell me this, Joe, before we get into the X's and O's, does this playoff feel different than last year's playoffs. Like, for you personally, I'm not talking Blues, I'm not talking for you, going into that game one against the Winnipeg Jets, does that feel different than this one? Yeah, to, to me right now, Alex, and this can change by tomorrow, last year I was, like, super geeked up, right? Because the Blues had, like, a lot of momentum. Yeah. Like, they had from January. It was a three-month momentum swing, like, where they were just building and building, and then they were playing good down the stretch, and then we hit the Winnipeg Jets, the best team, or at least the hardest competitive team that I thought we had to face all in the Western Conference, and it just was like, boom, the whiteout, the Jordan Bennington comments coming, I mean, it was just the drama, I, I felt it, I'm in the I'm in the building, we're at Winnipeg, it's a whiteout, the streets are shut down, Yeah. so this is very different, I mean, very different, I mean, it's so exciting, don't get me wrong, but it's just different, yeah. like, the stakes are still there. And I got to kind of wrap my head around it, but we've seen it. Yeah. It's hard. It's we need fans. I never knew hockey needed fans as much as I do. Need I mean, the fans. Oh, it's great. People are watching us do what we do. Yeah, I could, you know, way to go if you had nothing else to do on a Friday <laughs> night. No, no, no. You fans out there, you guys are freaking important. Well, and that's really what we, important. That's what we heard from those players, right? Like, oh, well, once you get into game action, you really don't notice. And I can understand that because it's probably like a white noise for hockey players, right? Like when you're in the game, yeah. you're not noticing what's going on. But I'll tell you what you do notice. You do notice how quiet it is it's in that the building. Build up, right? Yeah, you notice that adrenaline you build up from walking into the arena to going into your locker room to putting on your your uniform and then hitting the ice for those warm-ups like they don't have that watching videos of these guys like you're coming down from the elevator of your hotel and you're walking to the ice rink like there's no adrenaline build up there that's what's the hardest part and this is what I you know relate to the players the most and how hard this must be is is that buildup. It's the the energy heading into the locker room. Because once you're in the locker room and you hit warm-ups, and yeah, it's it's kind of like every other game. You find that routine, but you're not showing up in cities where you have a police escort and you see whiteouts in these visiting buildings, or you don't pull up to the Enterprise Center and, and there's already crowds of people outside and you hit warm-ups and there's already full capacity. 
to watch you warm up and the energy and the smoke in the building. You feel it, right? You feel it in your bones. Your whole nervous system goes into shock. It's awesome. But these <laughs> these guys, man, they're you're right. They're showing up in tracksuits, backwards caps, uh, goofy glasses and goofy shorts and high tube socks. When did high tube socks become a thing anymore? I thought that was Pee Wee Herman style still. Unbelievable. But they're showing up in all this, Alex, and it's a quiet locker room. and It's just it's amazing. It's amazing, I think, the teams that figure out a way to manufacture that internal energy the best, however they do it, uh, they're going to have a clear advantage. I don't know how they're going to do it, but they're going to have an advantage. Well, and you look at the opponent for the Blues in this first round, Joe, and that's a team to me that's going to have that advantage. I mean, they have a group of guys who a majority of that team are young players. You're looking at a uh, probably about 75% of that roster is about 28 years or younger. And with that being said... This is life to them. This is hotel, being locked in your room, having lounges to play video games or ping pong or watch television. You have a closed-in area where you're not bothered by people. You can just drink beers with your buddies and watch hockey and play hockey. Yeah, like That is a team I feel like is going to have an advantage, unlike St. Louis, to where they have a group of guys who have been here before. They do have some young guys. But a majority of the roster has family waiting at home, and that's a tough thing to overcome. Yeah, it's a young team. It's a young team they're facing. I kind of would rather have faced the Calgary Flames in, in the first round, and I told you guys that before the game started, simply because of the goaltending situation. Yeah. And Jacob Markstrom, he's a he's a stud. He, he groomed himself for five years in the minors, just like Jordan Bennington, if that sounds familiar. And he's a big body that, that moves very well, and he's a very emotionally invested into the game. This is a team in general, like you mentioned, Alex, they're young. They're very fast, and then they're hungry. I think this was the most emotionally invested team in that qualifying series of, of any, any team across the board. I'm talking about West and East. When Tanev scored that game winner, I mean, the, the place exploded. I mean, every goal they scored, JT Miller was on fire, yeah. screaming at each other. The bench is going nuts. <laughs> it's a young, feisty, energetic team that they're looking to knock off the champs, simply put. Yeah, well, and that's the part that gets me, like, I mean, you got a team that was going, if the if the season would have played itself out, now look, you still could have catapulted, but you're looking at a team that would have finished in seventh place, possibly just squeaking into a playoff positioning, depending on what happened those final 10 games of the regular season. Now you're looking at a team that knows they're young, knows they're inexperienced, but has the Stanley Cup champ. And if you go back to the last few years in the NHL playoffs, that team that plays the Stanley Cup champs, always seems to have a lot of success. I mean, go back last year, the team that took on the Washington Capitals. I mean, those teams know what they're getting themselves into. Well, and I think that they love it because if if you're a fan out there or you're wondering what's going on through the minds of Vancouver Canucks players right before game one starts, or what, what are they thinking right now, the night before the first game? I'm going to tell you exactly what they're thinking. They're thinking, if we have to win the Stanley Cup, and if we're going to win the Stanley Cup, we're going to have to go through St. Louis at some point. And might as well go through them now when we're relatively healthy, except to Foley. We don't know about him yet. Mm-hmm. But other than that, we're relatively healthy. We're rested. They haven't played in like five or six days. They're rested and they're ready. So I think that that's exactly what's going to the Vancouver Canucks mind, similar to what the Blues minds went through last year. Yeah, We had Winnipeg in round one. Winnipeg scared me more than any other team in the West. And I remember the players saying to themselves, well, this is, this is the powerhouse. This is the measuring stick. They went to the Western Conference final the year before, mm-hmm. before Vegas knocked them off. If we're going to get to the final, if we're going to get to the Western Conference final, we're going to have to go through Winnipeg at some point. We might as well do it now. And I think that's where you're going to see a very urgent and desperate, and again, hungry. I'm going to use that word a lot with the series. Which team is hungrier? Because right now, Vancouver was extremely hungry, 
in that first playing series, the Blues, they lacked a lot of hunger. Can they flip that switch? Can they match that hunger? Can they match that desperation? And can they match that that aggressive competitiveness that we're going to see out of this young, feisty Vancouver Connect team? With that being said, Joe, because of the offer that the Blues win in round robin in the one exhibition game, What's your concern level at? Ten being panic button, one being feeling confident. Where are you at going into this first round? One being confident, ten being scared. I'm, I'm going to put myself at a, at a six. Okay. I'm going to say seven. I'm going to say, hold on a minute, uh, more so, confidence, so, so three. More confidence, low. I, I'm, I'm actually highly confident. I'm highly confident. <laughs> Holy smokes. Let's take two on this puppy again. This was the hardest scale ever because you think 10 is like you're confident and one you're not confident. Okay, but you kind of so flipped I, it on So me. I flipped it on you. So let's do it this <laughs> way then. 10 being the most confident, one being you're hitting the panic button. I'm seven. How confident are you? I'm a seven. Okay. And I'm a seven. So I'm higher than halfway. I'm more confident than not confident, if that makes any sense. The only reason I'm you're not. You're highly confident. That makes sense. I'm highly confident. The only reason I'm not 100% out of 10 is just because of what we've seen so far. And that's only normal. That's natural. I think any player looks at this team. Top line's not really going. The defensive zone looks a little loosey-goosey. We're taking way too many penalties. Yeah. We're not on our feet. Even though we're winning face-offs, we don't have a lot of puck possession time. Everything that makes the Blues successful, for better or worse, we really haven't seen in three games. Not to mention, we've given up three third-period leads, which mm-hmm. we hadn't done all season long. <laughs> right. So that's why I'm not as confident as maybe I should be or want to be. But at the same time, I'm over the halfway mark because of one reason. I look at the leadership of this group, yeah. starting with the coach, and it's filtering down to the veterans. When you got Ryan O'Reilly and Alex Petrangelo and Alexander Steen and Jake Allen even, when you have those kind of players, those veterans who, who have been here, done that mentality, they're going to get this group going. Yeah. I really feel it down to my bone that, that when we see the Blues step on the ice tomorrow night at 930. 930! Oh, Holy smokes! <laughs> Nap is not optional tomorrow. No. Coffee and caffeine. That's where we're at tomorrow. We are going to see a team loaded with coffee and caffeine. I really feel like we're going to see a energetic group. Hopefully, we're going to close the gap on what we need to be. Yeah, well, we'll have to see about that. And I'll tell you this, the Vancouver matchup, to me, is a little bit more intriguing compared to what some of these other ones are, at least for the Blues perspective. And we'll talk about that tonight on This Week in Hockey. we got some fun guests. Ben Kuzma covers the Vancouver Canucks. He's going to give us some perspective on the Blues opponent. But up next, Joe Micheletti. He's one of my favorites. I know he's one of Joe Vitale's favorites. He's a longtime broadcaster, former NHL player, and also got some good news of the team that he covers yesterday with a number one overall draft pick. So we'll welcome in Joe Micheletti next. It's This Week in Hockey here on a Thursday night on 101 ESPN. Welcome back in, everyone, here on This Week in Hockey. Tuesday night, Alex Ferrario along with Joe Vitale as we are gearing up for round one of the playoffs. Blues and Vancouver Canucks. And, well, today we've geared up for round one of the actual playoffs as there's four games that started from earlier this afternoon all the way that will go into this evening. So to talk NHL playoffs, to talk St. Louis Blues, and really to talk about the big news for the New York Rangers last night, we welcome in Joe Micheletti, the former St. Louis Blues, the former St. Louis Blues broadcaster. You see him all over the place now with National and for the New York Rangers. Joe, it is great to catch up with you, sir. How are you tonight? Hey, Alex. uh, Doing great. Hi, Joey. 
Joe, hey, good hearing from you, buddy. Thanks so much for doing this. You're you're a fan favorite still in this in this town of St. Louis. I know everyone's excited to hear your voice. And and, and Joe, I want to start just with the big news of New York. Uh, last night it, it was you know the, the lottery balls kind of going off, but instead of who's going to win ten million bucks, you guys won the first overall. Just kind of walk me through. Were you watching it live? And and what were your initial emotions when the New York Rangers got the number one overall draft pick? I could have used it ten million, by the way. Any <laughs> <laughs> <Maybe> better? <laughs> well, uh, uh, thanks for the nice comments, by the way, uh, guys. Um, you know, I was actually driving in my car and had the uh, had the radio on, listening to uh, to the program. And you know, when the Rangers ended up uh, winning that thing, I almost drove off the road. <laughs> you know, and it, and it you know, right away I thought back to a season ago and what happened a season ago was that the Rangers, of course, have been in this rebuild. And, you know, it was about two and a half years ago when they got rid of most of their, their, you know, their players at the, at the trade deadline or a couple of weeks before and started making deals to acquire, you know, young players and draft picks and other assets uh, because they just felt that they couldn't win a championship with that team. And at the time they're only, I think five points out of the playoffs, but, the owner Jim Dolan said, uh, you know, he asked uh, he asked the the uh, the staff. He said, "Is this team good enough to win a championship?" And they said, "No." And he said, "Well, I want to win a championship. I don't care about making the playoffs." And and that's you know that's one of the benefits about being in New York uh, as opposed to some of the smaller markets where the playoffs are so important for you know for uh, for some playoff revenue. And so they started they started uh, you know just selling off their guys and trading their players and, and uh, they needed assets and they needed young players and that much in the system. And, and that's how they started on this process. So I'm sorry about the long story, but going back to a year ago now, uh, David Quinn, the new head coach of the Rangers, uh, the team was, there's no chance they were making the playoffs and they were, they were, uh, people were hoping that they would just keep losing so that they'd get a shot at the number one overall pick. But to his credit, and to the credit of Jeff Gordon, the general manager, they said, "We are not here to lose. Mm. That's a bad. That's a that's a bad message to send to the players. It's a bad message to send to our fans and to our organization." And so David Quinn pushed these players and pushed them and pushed them. They were winning games down the road. In fact, won the last game of the season in Pittsburgh in overtime. And so they ended up as the number six uh, with the number six pick. And guess what? They ended up number two overall because of the uh, because of the draft lottery. And and they said at that time, we think the hockey gods were were looking down on us because we didn't we didn't throw in the towel trying to get that top pick. We played hard. We played to win. And uh, and so that's what I thought of right away. And they continued that this year. And and uh, and for them to get the overall pick, boy, it sure it 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 sure. Um, you know, quickens the uh, the rebuild process. Well, this is what I love about hockey, and I love about the New York Rangers story, Joe, and you touched on it right there so beautifully because, listen, I was in Arizona one year where we had a GM who was, for better or worse, kind of blowing everything up. They traded Devin Dubnik halfway through the season when his numbers were outrageous, but that was the Connor McDavid sweepstakes year, and Jack Eichel for that matter. So we were just trying to bust up and trying to get to the very bottom. It sent a terrible message to the players, the organization, and we ended up following third that year, so we didn't get either of those guys. But to your point about not releasing a lot of these players, I mean, 
hindsight 2020, Joe, but how about that Chris Kreider contract now? Because he was kind of a, a, a UFA possibly in, in the air, and they were like, do we buy, do we sell, what do we do with this organization? And Chris Kreider out of nowhere just re-signs with the New York Rangers. I mean, talk about how that's going to make an impact with this number one one overall, Lafrere Nier, I guess how you say his name, coming in here with more speed of having Chris Kreider back in the organization. Well, you know, I, I thought about that, too, because Lafreniere is a left wing. And so on the left wing for the Rangers, you have their number one is Artemi Panarin. And number two is Chris Kreider. If you want to, you know, if you want to put those at one, two, they flip-flop different lines. And then if uh, – and a lot of people feel that Lafreniere, who if the Rangers take him and, and uh, there's a big gap between him and the player that would be the number two pick – and so I, I just don't think the Rangers would trade the pick. I think this kid has a chance to be uh, a generational-type player, uh, from what I understand. And so he plays left wing. So And, Joey, you know how, how the game is played these days, right? Other than the defensive zone where there are specifics as far as defensive coverage, where most teams want their center to come back down low and, 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 and play that part of the ice down around the net, defensively but once they get the puck and they start going the other way a lot of times you can't tell if the player that has the puck is a left wing a right wing a center it doesn't or what matter he's doing right. because it doesn't matter because they give these players now you know so much freedom especially if you've got a lot of talent they give you freedom to do your thing offensively so uh, when you ask about when i look at those left wings to me Kreider is your is, is really the only kind of traditional left wing up and when he plays his best, he's up and down the ice on that side, using his speed, using his shot, and using his size. With Panarin, and if uh, Lafreniere is the other the other player, I mean they're going to be all over the ice. They're going to be on the right side, and the left side, and up the middle of the ice, and so uh, it makes it very strong on that on that left side for uh, for the Rangers. And uh, again, he just adds to their to their list of, of really good young talent. Again, we're talking with Joe Micheletti here on This Week in Hockey. Everyone's favorite Joe Micheletti here in St. Louis, of course, the former Blues uh, defenseman and former Blues broadcaster. Joe, I'm curious your perspective from the general manager side that missed out on that number one overall draft pick. Of course, the NHL was kind of putting a, a spark of energy and interest into the NHL draft with everything that it's been taking place. Do, do you feel like there's been a, a positive vibe with all of this, or do you feel like there's more frustration right now? No, I think overall, uh, I think most people in hockey, including the fans, looked at this unique situation that everyone was in, and uh, the fact that the owners and the players' side work so hard together which hasn't happened much in the past. And I've been through a lot of these lockouts and work stoppages, and and uh, I've experienced a lot of them. And, Joey, you probably have too, not as many as me because I've got a few more years on you. But uh, I, I think that there was an appreciation for how these two sides came together, found a way to say, okay, this isn't going to be necessarily a win for us, and it's not necessarily going to be a big win for you, but let's figure out a way that we can win together and both sides gave up, you know, certain things and swallowed their pride and found a way to get back playing. And so you knew that that situation was going to be unusual, uh, which, which was all-encompassing. The draft, the free agency, the playoffs, the play-in, which we had never seen before, 
And, and so I, I think that everyone just embraced it. They embraced the fact that these two sides could find a way to get back and play, and, and it was going to be a system that we hadn't seen before. So frustration, sure, if you're Bill Guerin in, in Minnesota and you haven't had, you know, you've got an old team and you haven't had a really good young star in a long time, and certainly he'd be frustrated that he didn't get the number one pick. So would the other ones that missed out only to a certain extent that they knew that their chances weren't great, but uh, it, was, it would take a stroke of luck to get that. But I think they all accepted it. They all understood it. Now, there are many people in the game that have been around for many, many years that, that didn't like that system just because they're traditionalists, which is not necessarily a bad thing. But I think overall, if you were to take, you know, if you were to take a vote of, of everyone, fans and all hockey people and broadcasters, you mention it, uh, I would say, you know what, this has been a pretty good thing for the first couple of weeks of, of uh, these teams being in the bubble now and then this happening. You know, I think it's a great thing because, you know, Joe, look what's going on in Buffalo with Jack Eichel because a lot of times these great picks, I know Jack Eichel was number two, but they go to these teams that are at the very bottom, and sometimes they stay at the bottom for a long time. I mean, Conor McDavid is still not with the, without a championship, and who knows when that's going to come. They still have a lot of rebuilding to do in Edmonton, especially on the back end. But the cool thing about this is New York is, I mean, you got Panarin, you got you got Kako, you have all these amazing players, you got the Criders, you got Strom down the middle, now you're adding number one overall. So that, to me, you see a great player join a great team right off the bat. Kind of reminds me of what's going on with Evgeny Malkin when he came to Pittsburgh. Already a great team. Joe, you've watched this game a long time, and I had some emotions about this, but you've covered this team. You've been around it so much. What was it like for you to call that final game with uh, Henrik Lundqvist on the bench and seeing his emotions sitting by his group? You know, I've, I've been I've been lucky enough. I've been uh, I, I've been you know calling games for the Rangers now for 14 seasons, and so that's almost the entirety of Henrik Lundqvist's career. So um, I've gotten to know him personally. Uh, I've said this many times before that I have never been around a more competitive athlete than Henrik Lundqvist. Doesn't matter if it's games, practice. I mean, there are practices that I've seen in my 14 years where he's hard, hardly allowed a goal, and if he does in practice, he you know he'll break his stick over the crossbar. That's the type of competitor he's been. He's been the face of the Rangers now for 15 seasons, but you know what? He's not number one anymore. Shesterkin, the young 24-year-old, is the number one goalie. And I'm not sure that Henrik is number two anymore because Alexander Georgiev, the other 24-year-old goaltender, uh, might be ahead of him. It's a tricky situation. He's going to the Hall of Fame. We all know because of what's happened with the COVID uh, virus that the salary cap has remained steady now for two years. Everyone was expecting it to go up until the virus hit. And so now you've got Henrik Lundqvist, who will be 39 uh, next March, uh, with one more year left on his contract at $8 million a year. You know, is he, would he, in, under normal circumstances, be one of the top two? I don't think so. I don't think so at all. And so that is something that they're going to have to, uh, going to, have to wade through and, and, uh, and, and see what they can do and how they handle that thing. But in answer to your question, I've been so lucky to watch his career. I mean, it's just, he's been a, just a fabulous, fabulous player for a long, long time. And, um, you know what, we all get a little bit older and fastball, you know, slows down a little bit. And that's, that's the situation he's in, but he loves the game. He doesn't want to quit yet. 
That's Joe Micheletti. He's Joe Vitale. I'm Alex Ferrario. We'll take a quick break and come back more to talk a little NHL playoff with Joe next here on 101 ESPN. Welcome back this week in hockey. He's Joe Vitale. I'm Alex Ferrario. We are talking with Joe Micheletti, longtime hockey broadcaster for the Rangers, for NBC Sports, former Blues broadcaster, former Blues defenseman, and all-around great guy. Joe, I'm curious as we continue our conversation, your thoughts on what the NHL has done with putting together this bubble and how Gary Bettman and Donald Fear have pulled off a successful return to play for the NHL. I, I think it's just been fabulous. I mean, I really did. And, I, and you know, I'm a, I've, I've always considered myself someone that looks on the positive side of things. If things aren't going all that well, it'll get better. It'll get better. Don't worry about it. Get through it, and things will improve. And so I've always looked at it that way. I will tell you honestly that while this was going on, that I was really wondering to myself, how are they possibly going to pull this off? with cases, and of course, New York on the early part of, of all this was the epicenter, and it was, uh, you know, the hot spot for COVID uh, cases. And, you know, this is, this, is a, this is a virus that is so easy to catch. It really is. And so I kept on wondering, you know, how could they possibly do this? I know they talked about initially they were talking about eight cities and then four cities and then eventually two cities. And the fact that I think everyone was convinced that Vegas was going to be one of the two cities. And then they, and then the NHL and the Players Association did this pivot a week before they were going to announce the cities because of the outbreak when they opened the casinos and then the virus spiked there. And they did this quick pivot and said, this is not going to work here. And, you know, they went, you know, they obviously went to Edmonton. And so, I, I mean, I'm just so impressed with how decisive they were how careful they were, um, and how they worked together to get it done. Because, you know, there was a lot of hurdles that had to be overcome. And, and I just, I, just uh, I hope to God that, that, uh, that it stays as clean as it's been for the last, you know, three weeks, as you mentioned, Alex, and that, uh, and that they continue this and we end up with a Stanley Cup champ. I think it's just, it's been remarkable. And I, and I just, uh, I'm so impressed by, by both sides and what they've done. You know, so much of it's planning, Joe and Alex, and we talked about it a lot in the last two months, Joe, but you, you just kind of hit the nail on the head in, in an area that I didn't really give a lot of thought to, but you said a week before they made the decision, that's when the cases started to rise in Vegas, and you're absolutely right. So, so much of life, as we know, is timing. I mean, the timing of when the outbreak happened in Vegas, if, if they made a decision a week before or two weeks before, who knows what would happen? We probably wouldn't be seeing hockey right now if it were to go out to Vegas. The last question I have for you, Joe, and, and I had to ask you, I've been wanting to ask you this for a while, Artemi Panarin. I hope it's something I can answer. <laughs> oh, I know you can't because you know these, there's not a hard, more hardworking guy in the business than Joe Micheletti. When Amen. I was in Pittsburgh, uh, I go to the Rangers, Mass Square Garden, he was there. Yellow, yellow paper, pen, Always there. Never, never took a morning skate off. Well, not to make Joe feel old, but I grew up listening to Joe Micheletti and Ken Wilson on the calls. Like, that was my childhood. So when I hear that voice and when I hear Ken Wilson's voice, all I do is flash back to the 90s. That's it. That's it. But it was funny because I, yeah, I was in— Yeah, you guys are too kind. When I was in <laughs> Pittsburgh, Alex, Joe would always come talk to me because we had that St. Louis connection. But yeah. I was just so honored because no media ever wanted to talk to me. <laughs> but whenever I went to Madison Square Garden, Joe you always— don't give yourself, You don't give yourself enough credit. Um, but the reason I the reason I bring that up is because you know these players very well. Artemi Panarin, when I watch him play, I, I just smile. 
I smile by how he plays, his energy, his smile, the, everything he exudes on the ice. I want to believe that he is that same personality off the ice. What kind of guy is he? Fantastic. He is, uh, he is the most down-to-earth person and player and superstar uh, that, I've, that I've been around because he grew up with nothing. He was yeah. raised by his, by his grandparents on both sides uh, in Russia, he, uh, you know, he was when he fir- when he got his first pair of skates, I believe he was 10 or 11 years old. They were so big that he could put his shoe inside the skate. Wow. And and he would and his grandparents would put him on a train and he would go two hours one way, two hours back just to start playing hockey. So this is a this is a this is a. A per, I would call him a kid. I guess he's a kid to me, but he's 28 now, and he's got he's he's got two ta- two tattoos, one above each knee, with a uh, with a year 2000. I got to get this right, um, 1939, and the other one is you know 1937 or something, which is the the uh, birth year of each of his grandfathers. Wow! And and you know he grew up his. And his his grandparents didn't have any money either, so they used to take any kind of clothing they could get, and any and any type of material, whether it was magazines or anything, and they used to make his equipment for him. Wow! And and that's and that's and you know what? He's never forgotten that. Mm. He has never forgotten that. And so, um, so he comes he comes to the rink every day. He's got a smile on his face. He speaks much better, better English. Then he lets on, and you never hear him do an, an interview in English, right? Because he's just he's, he's just a little sensitive to that. But his teammates love him. Uh, he uh, the coaches love him. He is he is as hard a worker as there is out there. He's always working on his games and his hands and his shots and his passing and everything. And uh, he's just he is just he's just filled with life. He's so appreciative of what he has and what he makes. And he's always, you know, Joe, you say you smile. That's all he does is smile. So it, it's a, he's an infectious player and, just, and a fabulous player. But he, he comes from this background, and he's never, ever forgotten what happened to him as a child. And now he just appreciates everything he has. Man, it's a wonderful story. That's fascinating, especially you love to hear that about hockey players, right, Joe? Like uh, guys who smile when they're playing their game. That's mm-hmm. That's what you love to see on the ice rather than guys who are just doing it as a task. Well, and I think that a lot of GMs and coaches, Joe, you know this, if players smile and they show emotion, uh, the GMs and coaches, well, you better be playing good because we don't want to see that kind of emotion if you're not going to go out there and play. But that's what amazes me about Panarin is he has that personality, but he backs it up constantly. It's amazing. Yeah, he's, um, you know, you know, we've been lucky in this sport, and, I, and of course, we have um, a certain bias towards towards hockey because we've been around it all our lives and and um, uh, but you know when you when you listen to sports writers that have been around uh, for a long time and have covered all the major sports and most times very seldom uh, have I not heard a sports writer that is that has been around for years say that hockey players are the best players best athletes to cover from their perspective, because the majority of them, and there's, you know, there's always exceptions. We know that, uh, but the majority of, of the hockey players are, 
you know what? They're down-to-earth people. They're hardworking people. Uh, the ones that aren't, they get weeded out. And, um, and, and you make a good point, you know, Joey, that, you know, those players that maybe have a, a different type of attitude and don't back it up, well, they don't last very long, mm-hmm. and so uh, so we're you know we're I, I've been I've been really fortunate. And Joey, you're you're doing this now, you know from uh, it's a it's a new thing for you that, but now you're you're in this as a new profession, and you're getting to not only know your own players but players around the league, and and they respect you for what you've done, and you know you mentioned the hard work. That's just that's just what we do. That's the only. That's the only. That's the only way we can do it. If you want to do your job, I don't care what it is, uh, you've got to work hard at it. And I learned that from Dan Kelly. He was he was the guy that got me started, and uh, in a business I knew absolutely nothing about. And uh, and he, you know, he very brunt, uh, bluntly told me on a number of occasions that I had embarrassed myself on the air because I didn't I didn't have an answer for a question he asked me. <laughs> and that's something, that's something that's something that's something I will never ever forget. And he would do it over a beer. Uh, and he, and he, there were times I've told Joey these stories that, um, you know, he would just say, you know, you, you, you just embarrassed yourself tonight, you know, and he would, but he would tell me why. And I would learn from that. Mm. And then he would also tell me, you know, he'd also say things like, well, we were great tonight, you know, and I would have the same answer as I had for him when he said to me how bad I was. And I would say, oh, we were, why, you know, and he would tell me why. And so that's how I learned the business, and he taught me that you you better work at this. You better know what's going on. You better know everything about the other team, and and uh, and so that's the only way. And I'm so thankful for that because that's the only way I've that that's how I learned it. That's the only way I know. And so, um, but working, you know, and you do that, and then you know you get to know these players, and even the ones on the other team, they'll respect you for doing the work, and the coaches will too. And that's. That's what makes our, our job fun. Well, Joe, I got my game sheet. I was prepping already for tomorrow today. I'm going to let Alex read the top word. What does it say? It says why. It says why. So I'm still using yeah, the Joe I'm still using the Joe Micheletti <laughs> template. He took me out to breakfast when I got this job, and he kind of gave me the rundown of how he does it. I still do exactly what Joe does. And Alex, before we go here, he told me one advice. You were talking about all the great advice from Dan Kelly. Joe told me, and Joe, you remember this, you need to forget about what you did and you need to like hone in your new craft. You have to become something completely different. I never, I didn't really understand that in my first year, but I think it was around Christmas time of year two when I finally understood what that meant. I think for the first year I was kind of still hung up on the player I was, but now it's like I look at this career as this is what I do now. I'm a broadcaster. I call games. So you need to take that to the complete next level. Incredible vice from Dan Kelly. Incredible vice. From Joe Micheletti and Alex, this was a great conversation. Yeah, it was. Joe, honestly, I, I can't I'm say... I'm glad we did this. I, I can't say thank you enough. It's great to catch up with you and always talk hockey. We didn't even get the chance to get into the Blues and Canucks series, but I got a feeling we're going to be talking with you again down the road throughout these postseasons. So thank you so much. Stay healthy. Enjoy this uh, off season, and we hope to be talking again with you real soon. Well, and uh, it, it's such a pleasure for me to be on with you guys. This was, uh, this was fun. I hope we get to do it again, and I'll give you one more piece of advice, Joey. Yes. It's not me. It's you. You're you're excellent <laughs> at what you do, and you keep getting better, and nobody else can make you that way except you, and you're the one who's doing it. So, thanks, uh, Joe. It's a, it's, it's a pleasure to, to, to see your growth in the business. So thanks so much for having me, guys, and, and good luck to the Blues. Thanks, Joe. You know Have what? a great night. Wouldn't surprise, wouldn't surprise me again if they did it 
if they if they had another run and won it again. We Boy, love we love hearing that, and then Joe Vitale would love going two for two as a broadcaster for the Blues to have another Stanley Cup ring. Joe, right, right. thanks again. We always appreciate it, sir. Have a great rest of your night. Okay, thank you, guys. Appreciate awesome. it. Take care, Joe. Thank you, Joe. See ya. There you go. That's Joe Micheletti. Honestly, Joe, I, I said that in the interview, and I sound like I'm like gushing over this, but phenomenal man to talk to. Phenomenal hockey mind, but on top of it all, you can tell how much he cares about other people in the business. I mean, I'm hearing him talk about Artemi Panarin, and I know he's describing Artemi about his, his, his humble backgrounds, and he doesn't forget where he came from. And I know he's talking about Artemi, but here I am thinking, like, Joe's explaining what what he is. And yeah. To me, he's just the most humblest, just kindest, encouraging human being. I mean, he is... I don't care what anyone says, Alex. He has set the benchmark mm-hmm. for what a color analyst is in the sport of hockey. I, I don't agree. know one out there. I think Darren Pang is sniffing on his heels like, closely. I think mm-hmm. Darren is some of the best stuff in the business as well. But to me, if I can learn from Darren Pang and Joe Micheletti, to me, you're going to learn the right way to do things. Yep. Joe is so professional. He shows up every morning skate. He's been doing this forever, but he's still there. It's it's, it's amazing seeing the work ethic he puts in and just how good he is at his craft. It, yeah. It's remarkable. And again, just the kindest, sweetest man yep. you'll ever encounter. What a great interview. I, I couldn't agree more. And if you missed any of the interview, it was two-parter. Uh, you can check it out on our podcast at the end of the show tonight, This Week in Hockey on 101 ESPN. We'll come back and wrap up the first hour next here on This Week in Hockey. Once again, big thank you to Joe Micheletti for hopping on with us tonight. Always great to catch up with Joe, and I'm sure we'll be talking NHL with him again at some point throughout this postseason. Hopefully, as he said, we see another Stanley Cup championship for the St. Louis Blues. But that's not going to be easy, Joe. If you look at these matchups right now, the eight teams, we talked about this last week, the eight teams that could potentially be in the playoffs, the matchups in the West – Honestly, I think you could flip a coin for all four of them of somebody to come out. Like, I know people are saying Vegas is the favorite, but Chicago played very strong, and all they need is a Corey Crawford to come through, and they might be t- talking about winning two or three games. The Arizona Coyotes are a team that frightens the hell out of me, and they should be doing the exact same to the Colorado Avalanche. To me, Joe, Arizona is the epitome of what the Blues were last year. Mm-hmm. You got a head coach in Rock, Rick Tockett who has just brought some some strength and positivity to those players. You got a mix of some veteran guys who are looking for a Stanley Cup, youthful energy like a Clayton Keller, and then you got the goaltending with Darcy Kemper, who has always been a backup, but now he's getting that shot to be number one. Yeah, no, he's he's a stud. I'm telling you right now, I had someone text me the other day. Actually, it was Mike Caruso. Uh, and him and some of his boys, Darren Pang, was in a text chain, and they, they threw out a question. Top five goalies in the league right now. And I said Darcy Kemper is my fifth. I had a couple, you know, the standard ones in there, you know, Bennington and Tukarask and I think Vasilevsky and Bishop. I think the last one was Darcy Kemper. Mm-hmm. This kid is the real deal. He is big. He is mobile. He is so dialed in. Watch him when he's playing. He's looking left. He's looking right. He's so into the game. His eye, his eyes follow the puck all the way in the corner. Reminds me of Jordan Bennington. He will he will laser track that puck until it's clearly out of his zone. And even sometimes then he keeps an eye on it. This is an Arizona team that's going to be dangerous. You know, uh, I, I wasn't sold on him. I actually had Nashville beat him in the first Did round. Did you really? I, I was wrong in every freaking Western Conference qualifying round. Really? I had Edmonton 
obviously taking over Chicago. How does that happen? Yeah, nobody saw Nashville that. Nashville over Arizona. I thought Nashville. I did too. Out. And Nashville played them. I think a lot. But Darcy Kemper was good. Nashville had like 48 shots in that final game against them. Nashville should have won that series, but Darcy Kemper was that good. To your point, Minnesota. What the heck happened? All these veterans. Windows closing, boys. They lost. Calgary, Winnipeg. I mean, seriously, what the heck? Winnipeg was supposed to be my team, but then you lose a couple guys to injuries. We see Mm -hmm. what happens there. There are some interesting matchups. You did go over in the West. I went over. I went over in the West, but then I went hundred percent in the East. Not a big deal. Not a big deal. It's a little bit easier in the East, though. I yeah. Think. You know, it's just it's just it's just running. You gun picked hockey. against the former team, your former captain, Sidney Crosby. I did. Yeah. I, I was. Carey Price it has that kind of. Yeah. I don't know. There's something about him and and why he shows up for games. It was weird. So I thought, I thought goaltending. But again, it comes back to that point. You look at Carey Price in Montreal. You look at what Darcy Kemper's done with the Arizona Coyotes. Uh, Jacob Markstrom. There was there was stretches in this Minnesota-Vancouver series, Alex, that Minnesota was pumping shots. Goaltending is so important. I know it's easy yeah. to say. It is so important. And the Blues don't win the Cup last year without Jordan Biddington. I think the Blues should have lost probably at least three games out of the ones they won throughout the playoff stretch last year. But they won them simply because he had great goaltending, including game number seven versus the Boston Bruins. They should have won that game. They should not have won that game. Jordan Bennington was that good. Yeah. He was that good that early on, and he stole it. He literally stole the ring right off the Boston Bruins' fingers. And I think that goaltending has that mark. That's what makes me a little nervous about this Vancouver matchup just a little bit is that Jacob Markstrom's a big goalie. He's mobile, and, and he's a gamer, man. Yeah. He's ready. He's ready. He's, he's ready to take that step. I want to get into that in just a bit because I think that's a fascinating aspect of all of this. Uh, Another matchup, Joe, that I wanted to pick your brain on was in the Eastern Conference. You got two matchups, one that uh, will happen uh, later on tonight, I believe, in the Washington Capitals and the New York Islanders. You want freaking storylines? How about Barry Trotz against his former team and his former assistant coach? There's that one. You got the Blue Jackets and the Maple Leafs, the the team that knocked off the number one. uh, Exactly. That one, and then with John Tortorella's fire, you can only imagine that yeah. one. And then the Boston Bruins and Carolina Hurricanes. It's going to be a good one. I mean, Carolina was a team that was on fire last year and just couldn't get over the hump against Boston. They look like, to me, the, the most dangerous team in the playoffs right now. We're going to see something in about a week and a half, Alex. We don't know it yet, but we're going to see, does this have an impact? The Boston Bruins... And the St. Louis Blues, to start the playoffs last year, were playing incredible hockey. Yeah. They were riding such a high wave, and they continued it. They were playing great, and they continued it, and they went all the way to the final. This year is very different. The Boston Bruins and the St. Louis Blues both fell to the four seed. They were both 0-3. They're not playing that good heading into the playoffs. What will that look like this year? Yeah. Will they be able to both turn the switch on? And will we see Boston or St. Louis creep into the final again? Maybe it doesn't matter how good you're playing leading into the playoffs. Maybe it matters a lot. We're going we're gonna to find out because I'll tell you one thing. Carolina and Boston, Carolina is lights out. Svechnikov, Sebastian Ajo, where did this kick come yeah, from? Kid comes where out of nowhere. Where did these kids come from? This is ridiculous. These guys are, these guys are changing the game. These guys are, are literally flipping the game upside down by how they move and how they shift and how they stick handle and their awareness and their 200-foot game. Carolina Hurricanes are stealthy, and they are really good, and the Boston Bruins have not played very good. Don't bet against Rod the Bod. You cannot. You don't go against Rod the Bod. Who would win in a fight? 
Craig Berube, Rick Tockett, oh my Rod gosh. the Bot. Throw three of them in a in a cage in a cage. I would I would pay thousands of dollars to watch that in a cage match. The thing that scares me about Rod is he's so quick. Where yeah. he's kind of got that McGregor thing too. I'm uh-huh. like, Chief's just big. He's like Billy that bean character. Yeah. You know, what's his name? Butterbean. 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 Yeah. Don't tell Chief I said that. I will Ooh. don't tell. Dude, he, he, might, will, he might murder you. He'll crush me. He with might his, murder you. He'll crush me with Are you stare. saying Rick Tockett's the weakest of the three? <laughs> no, I th- yeah, that's hard oh. to say. <laughs> he'll crush me too. <laughs> he but will. no, Carolina, Boston, yeah. Columbus, Tampa, dude. I'm telling you that Tampa's gonna be they're gonna be chomping. They're gonna yeah. be chomping. I like Tampa this year. I like Tampa this year. Even without Stamkos? I like him this year. Really? I'm going to tell you why I like him. And I'm going to tell you why I don't like the Blues as much. Okay. Because we don't have a Pat Maroon. I couldn't agree more. Don't you think we missed him in these first three games? I think you missed him in these three games. I think you're going to miss him more when you face a team that has Antoine Roussel on it. Yep. Exactly. Because he he will be the Brad Marchand of this series. He will be the Tyler Myers of the series against the Winnipeg Jets last year. He'll be the Jamie Ben of the mm-hmm. Dallas Stars series. He is going to get in the corners. He's going to have that extra hack at your ankles when the refs skate away. He's going to piss your team off. And if you don't have a guy who can get in their face and piss them off, that's going to be advantage opposition. You know, and Sammy Blay, would, to me, is that guy. We don't know what Sammy Blay is going on. We don't know what's going no. on. He yeah. returned to the game. It looked like a knee, but I don't think he skated yesterday. I don't know if he skated yeah, today or not. it was an not. optional, and then today they they said he was going to, he, they said he was going to try, yeah. and then Craig Berube was going to update it afterwards. So I don't know if we really will know with Sammy until tomorrow night with Game 1. We'll see. But my point is, I'm watching these last four games of the St. Louis Blues. I'm thinking, God, they need something. They need a spark. They need someone to yell at someone in the team. They need someone to get punched in the face or yell at their coach or break one of their sticks over the bench or something. Just something. They need some energy. And I was thinking like, oh, yeah, Pat Maroon did that last year. And he's not here anymore. And this is why the Tampa Bay Lightning went out and got him. Because they got swept by Columbus last year, and they needed that spark. They needed energy, and they didn't have it. So they got Pat Maroon, and now look at him. I'm telling you right now – Tampa, Tampa's for real, and they don't even have Stamkos yet. And that's the part that scares me. Yeah. They played as well as they did without Stamkos, and when they get him back, that's a that's a scary thing to deal with. Let me ask you this before we break. Who can be Pat Maroon? Who who has the who who has the ability to step up into that role? Well, you know, you have Robert Bortuzzo. Yeah. He's the number one guy for me. But the problem is Bortzi's not always in. And how does he get in? He's not yeah. always in. And 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 again. Do you put Robert Bortuzzo in there, Alex, when you're facing a Vancouver Canuck team that's extremely fast? Yeah. You know, not no disrespect to Robert, but he's a he's a grinded out physical, a little bit slower. He's getting up there in age a little bit. When you're looking at speed, you gotta look at either Justin Falk, Vince Dunn, or Robert Bortuzzo. I mean, those are the three yeah. interchanging ones. And to me, Justin Falk and, and Vince Dunn move better on their feet. They're a little shorter, they're stockier, they got closer center of gravity, they cross over better, they're swiftier, they go east-west better, and that's going to be an advantage when you're playing the Vancouver Canucks. Now, if you're playing a slow team, if you're playing a slower team heading into this you know, this game, for example, like I don't think Nashville is all that fast, even mm-hmm. though they, they're skilled, they're not fast. If we were playing Nashville, it would be a different story. Yeah, you, you could use Robert Bortuzzo, but I don't know if Bortuzzo gets in. So someone's going to need to step up. There is a role there for somebody, without question. And I think it's going to be someone probably on that fourth line. Does Oscar Sundquist have it in him? 
you know, we'll we'll certainly find out. I think Zach Sanford can. I think Zach Sanford can too. I thought him and Landeskog had a good little battle, a little duet, duet, duel, 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 <laughs> duel duet. They had a little duel. <laughs> the duet of duels. Man, my words are all. Yeah, you're struggling, tonight. buddy. This is the warm up for tomorrow night. Yeah, that's what this Dude, is. I'll be, I'll Come be, on, I'll be good. Tomorrow night's all that matters. Forget about. It. I'm gonna be just fine. forget we're about. We're gonna call the hell out of this game. <laughs> all right, we're gonna take a break and let Joe get his words back together. This hour, we're gonna get into a little Vancouver Canucks style, and also Sammy Blay and Ivan Barbashev. What happens if the Blues don't have them? Stick around another hour of this week in hockey next here on 101 ESPN. Hour number two of This Week in Hockey here on a Tuesday night, along with Joe Vitale, I'm Alex Ferrario, Blues and Canucks tomorrow night, 9.30, puck drops with Curbs and Joey. I will have your pregame show starting at 8.30, and I will have a lot of coffee in my system before we hit 8.30. I'm going to need a couple of those bangs, those bang drinks. You ever oh, have any of those bang yeah. drinks? Do those work? I've never had them before. I don't know. I guess they're like Red Bulls. So maybe what, what you're saying is you and I should experience this, and it'll be like a little scientific thing. Oh boy. Curbs will be the uh curbs will be the the constant that doesn't have the energy drinks and you and I will have them and we'll see what happens. Yeah, if I, I think I have too many though, that late at night, it can kind of do the counter, right? It's like the the, the Quaalude effect. It's kind of the, you know, Quaaludes in the old days are supposed to put you to sleep, but if you were able to delay them and you were de- delay that window of putting you to sleep, you actually got a high off it, from what I understand. I learned that in the Wolf of Wall Street movie. Did you know? The, the one with Leonardo DiCaprio. So I'm worried Fantastic about I'm movie. worried about the bangs because of that reason. If I miss that window of energy, am I just going to completely crash? And and listen, no one can have me crash on no. Gainer One. They're listening to me. Alex. You are the key component in these broadcasts. I'm the guy. Yeah, you are the guy. Curbs is my sidekick. <laughs> we call him Chuck Wagon. Curbs is Robin to your Batman. Yeah, he's my Chuck Wagon. He's your Chuck Wagon? That's it. We'll tell him that. I'll let you tell him that, you actually. You tell him that. Uh, yeah, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. But anyway, so pregame starts at 830. We're going to have a little extended pregame for you tomorrow night starting at 7 o'clock. So a lot of fun uh, coming up before puck drop between these two teams, Blues and Canucks. So two names that we mentioned last, well, one name that we mentioned last hour, Joe, and then another one, Ivan Barbashev and Sammy Blay. Now, Ivan, we found out earlier today, had big baby number one. I say big baby. It was tiny. It was a tiny baby. Yeah, most babies are tiny. It was a normal size baby. It's like they're like seven pounds on average. Seven pounds? No, I was ten. You were ten. I was ten. So you were born. To, was it the lower? Was it the lower half of you that was part of the ten? Like, did that eat up more of the ten pounds? Yeah. Well, the the, the bottom half definitely. Like counted. the hips and the it waist. It definitely counted for the 10. Hey, I'm, not, I'm not trying to be dirty here. I'm just saying, like, <laughs> hockey players are known to have the uh, the big rear ends and the big thighs. Triangle. So I'm thinking, like, seven pounds of you from the waist down, three pounds up. Yeah, I was all meatball. I was all meatball, man. <laughs> 10 pounds, one ounce. But yeah, normal baby. Uh, like a you normal said, size seven baby. pounds. I, yeah, I don't know the exact measurements. How of the hell did we get here? I don't really know. I don't know either. Look, Bar- Barbashev had the baby. Well, his wife had the baby. Boy, we are <laughs> struggling today, Joey but V. also, you never know what the weight. If, if if you weigh them soon, then they'll have all that kind of slime. Oh on them, yeah, I thought which, they cleaned the slime off immediately. Well, that's the thing. Sometimes ba- sometimes moms want the baby to latch right away. It's like that that skin to skin latch. Oh, you'll learn wow. about this. I was gonna say. I so don't... sometimes they come right 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 out the chute. Yeah, and the doctors just lay them right on the mom's chest for skin to skin latching, and that's like a very that's like when hormones apparently are like raging in mom and baby. There's like that connection, so they really encourage you to do that. Now the only problem is that you lose a lot of moisture if you're a baby because all that slime and water weight kind of evaporates over time. So we didn't like. We, I'll give you an example. 
Let's hear it. Birdie, my daughter, or my fourth baby we just had, we didn't weigh her until like four or five hours after we had her, and she was already kind of dry and cleaned up. Now, she came in kind of low. If we would have weighed her before, you're talking about three or four ounces, and that's a lot, that's a lot of weight. That's a lot of weight. Curbs was right after that Dallas Stars game. Time. We, I, I, I'm amazed at this. Curbs was right, though. You always get anatomy with Joe Vitale on the air. I think the human body's awesome. I think it's awesome. I think the human body's awesome, too. I've always been intrigued by it. I always was asking why. Why this? Why that? You seemed like the kid in school that, in a science class, the teacher would explain it and say any more questions, and you'd raise your hand and be like, yeah, uh, I got a question. Why does that happen? And then it would come out five more times. Yeah, you know, I I was actually shy in school, but I would come home and ask my mom and dad, and then, of course, I learned everything the wrong way. Oh, yeah. I I did that one, too. (laughs) I asked my dad, and and (laughs) so I had to relearn things the, the right way, but... I've always been excited. I've always been intrigued by human bodies and how we have evolved. And, and, and with hockey, you're always hurting some area. That's true. It's like you're always talking about the bodies because we're talking about athletes who are humans. So, so you're two interested two in hockey bodies yep. and the injury. See, that's how we get to these points when Joe Vitale's on the air. So back to what I think I was trying to say. Ivan Barbashev, he and his wife have the baby, and... We don't know, but I would imagine he's going to be headed to Edmonton within the next day or so. Mm-hmm. He gets to Edmonton. That's four straight days of being locked up in your room, in your bubble, taking negative tests. You get those, you can come back. So you're looking at potentially game three or game four, Barbashev could be back. Sammy Blay, it's really up in the air. Regardless yeah. of what Craig Berube has said, it's up in the air with somebody who was unable to finish the third period. Without these two guys, Joe, the Blues need to have some guys to create their identity on this team. You know, for Ivan, you know, he's been skating here in St. Louis. The skating coach, John Stanbrook,'s been doing a great job keeping him conditioned. It's and great to hear. Yeah, keeping him conditioned and skating every day. I think they were skating on Centene. But you're right. Barbie has the baby today. Uh, Alex, first child, I would imagine he wants to see everyone get home and get safe and get nestled up nicely. I wouldn't be in such a hurry. You know, if it's your fourth kid, you're like, all right, honey. I'm out. Will you knock this off and just push her out already? You know, like, come on, like, enough's enough. I got to go back to work. I got my fancy football draft tonight. Let's go. Save that for baby number four, right? (laughs) That's four. That's not number one. Number one is like, whoa, so much to learn. I'm here forever. A lot of things happening. You got to make sure you you checked all the boxes of what to expect. These are all good things to know. Very good, yeah. So I, I would expect a day or two at least maybe probably two days let's say ivan leaves maybe thursday and you get there friday saturday sunday monday i would imagine and then if there's a tuesday so we know there's a sunday and sunday a monday's back to back sunday monday's back to back so you're looking at game five it would be game five if necessary which would be that wednesday i think that that monday back to back one that's sort of game four is possible yeah i think the sunday one is out of the question but you know maybe if looking at that way i'm thinking game five before we probably see an Ivan Barbashev. And that's big because, I mean, you lost, in my eyes, you lost, if you're the Blues, an identity of the fourth line. Yeah. The fourth line has to recreate themselves. You still have Sundquist, who's an incredible player. Alexander Steen, probably the most reliable player on your roster. But without Barbashev, you lose that energy, that intensity, Mm -hmm. that spark plug mentality. Without him throwing his body. I mean, heck, Joe, you go back to that Colorado Avalanche game, there were 14 hits between two players. That was Sammy Blay and Ivan Barbashev. You're taking the physical aspect, you're taking the speed aspect and the aggressive aspect out of your lineup. It it sucks. 
It does, because you mentioned those are the two most physical forwards we certainly have on this team, Alex, and the thought of not having them for a good chunk of this series, it, it, it's a big thing. If you're Craig Berube, do you do you try to fill those roles? And do, you, do you call upon Troy Brower to be an Ivan Barbashev, to be a Simeon Blay and be physical? Do you call on a Mackenzie McEachern and saying, hey, we're missing a couple of physical guys, we need you to be the physical guys? Yeah. Do you try to keep the same identity? Or do you look at it like, well, we lost those two guys, Maybe we need to shift an identity. Maybe we need to do something completely different. I don't think he's going to go to that right away, but I can see him shifting to that if things don't go well in the first couple of games. What I mean by that is this. If you don't have the physicality, if you if these players you're called upon to do it don't do it or don't serve the team in the same way that Ivan and Sammy Blay did, I think you're looking at maybe at a fourth line with maybe some skill and some speed. Do you throw in a Jordan Cairo? You know, do you have Sunquist in the middle? Do you move Steiner up to that third line with Bozak and Thomas? That's more like a third solid checking line with some good structure. And then you have just a skilled fourth line with speed and aggressiveness. Maybe you get away from the hitting a little bit. And maybe you rely more on speed, forechecking, recovering pucks, and spending time in the offensive zone. All questions that I don't know the answer to right now, but I know that the Blues should feel confident knowing that they have a coach who's got an incredible grasp, not only for the systems, but also the personalities of these players that will come up with a decent answer here soon. And that's the part that I I always go back to, Joe, is, look, if you're going to trust anybody in these circumstances, it's Craig Berube for what he did last year. I mean, putting Sammy Blay in the lineup, I will never forget when he said Sammy Blay was going to play in that game against the Dallas Stars where he scored the goal on Ben Bishop. I'm thinking, what the hell are you doing I mean, this guy hasn't played at all, and you're just going to throw him in? Yeah. And, of course, he was influential. Zach Sanford going back into the lineup. Joel Edmondson coming out of the lineups. The decisions Craig Berube has made have worked out for this team. He has a pulse for this team, which is why it doesn't really concern me without these two because I feel like whoever he puts in that role is going to mesh. Well, I think that he's also got a great partner in that, and Steve Ott, yeah. who is so recently removed from this game who was in that locker room as a player <clears throat> four years ago? Yeah. Four years ago? He remembers what it's like. He remembers playing Petro. He, he picks up on Petro's moods. He, he he knows what it's like to go D-to-D with Jay Bomeister or to shoot on Jake Allen. Mm-hmm. He, he knows these guys. He knows their personalities. And Craig Berube and Steve Ott are very close. And Steve Ott is, is in his ear all the time about – things that he sees trending in a good direction or a bad direction and what he thinks and how he sees the feel of this team and what direction they're moving in. And I think that's where a lot of those adjustments are made. And, you know, Craig Berube is given a lot of credit, but let's not forget about the Steve Ott character who has, has got a great relationship. I mean, him and Steiner are, are tight as can be. And he, and he has a really good grasp for what's going on in that locker room. And that's valuable, Alex, because not a lot of teams – look at all the coaching staffs – in the National Hockey League, it's very rare to have as many NHL game experiences through the coaches spread out mm-hmm. as we do, but also, but also the range of Craig Berube playing starting in the '80s and '70s, where it was, and then the Steve Ots and the Mike Van Ryans. I mean, it's it's amazing the different generations we've covered on that coaching staff and how they just really get a good feel for these players individually. It's Joe Vitale. I'm Alex Ferrari. I want to come back and pick his brain on the penalty kill side of this one because I think special teams is going to be important. So we'll touch on that next as we wind things down of this week in hockey here on 101 ESPN.
Back in here on a Tuesday night this week in hockey, along with Joe Vitale, I'm Alex Ferrario, the night before game one of round one of the Stanley Cup playoffs. Man, it is nice to say that, and we know the opponent now, the Vancouver Canucks taking on the St. Louis Blues. The Vancouver Canucks taking down the Minnesota Wild, a team that has a lot of youth on it and a lot of excitement. And to talk a little bit about this team, we'll welcome in Ben Kuzma. He covers the Vancouver Canucks for Post Media Sports up in Vancouver. He's a contributor at TSN 1040 as well. Ben, how are you tonight? I'm well. I'm well. Looking forward to this. I mean, once we got through the uh, lethargic, no-hitting, mean-nothing, <laughs> round-robin prelude to the games that really matter, I'm, I'm pretty sure everybody in St. Louis is jacked, and uh, it's the same story here in Vancouver. Well, and I'll say this one, Ben. Watching the Canucks play the Minnesota Wild, I had a completely different opinion about that team. The way that they came out fired up, going at Minnesota, throwing the body around, playing very physical, that's a different team than what people have remembered the last few years from this Canucks squad. Well, I think they were able to manufacture some urgency because a team that hasn't actually been in the actual playoffs since 2015 I mean, after five long years, even to get into the qualifying round, it was very significant uh, for the franchise. I think the biggest development there was the fact that the Canucks had 10 postseason newbies getting their first taste of what it's really like when push comes to shove and there's no space and there's no time. And uh, the Wild played a very, very aggressive game. And I think the Canucks benefited from going through everything in that series. I mean, getting leads, having to come back, um, getting some great uh, play from the young players, getting great goaltending, spotty goaltending. It seemed that everything that could play out uh, over the four games did, and I just think they're better for it. They've had some time to regroup here. Uh, I know they're not taking the Stanley Cup champions lightly. Nobody should. Uh, a Craig Berube team is always extremely difficult to play against. But having said that, the Canucks went 2-0-1 against the Blues this season. Uh, they were able to match him, but uh, I think we'll see a different animal. Uh, it's really hard to knock off a champ. We know that the Blues have a certain pedigree and a certain DNA when it's uh, time to play for keeps, and uh, I think the Canucks will have their hands full. Ben, you mentioned five years since the Canucks have been in the playoffs, and it's been it's been a rebuilding mode for the most part, at least especially the last few years. And I, I some time in Arizona, I remember Arizona, they had to finally let go of Shane Doan before they could really kind of turn the page in a new direction with that organization. I kind of look at the Vancouver Canucks in the same way, and maybe maybe you agree or disagree, I'm not sure, but with the Sedin twins, it felt like they needed to kind of move on past those guys in order to kind of go in full rebuild mode about what does this team look like. Maybe just from covering this team, what have these last five years looked like to you as far as how this whole team has evolved to be put into the position where they are looking at this whole lineup right now? Well, you've got to be strong. You've got to be strong down the middle. You've got to have great goaltending. I mean, the Sedins were 38 when they finally hung them up. Although, when you see them around town and they're still running marathons, <laughs> they could probably still play. Uh, but having said that, I think what what put this on fast forward, uh, you know, you have Bo Horvat as your captain, but the evolution, the quick, the lightning quick evolution of, of Elias Pettersson. Uh, as you're basically one or one a center uh, was crucial to this organization, and I think uh, the problem here is that the top six mix is there's never been that total symmetry there in terms of having more than one or two guys that you can go to. I, I think 
in beating the trade deadline rush to get Tyler Toffoli uh, out of the L.A. Kings and having 10 points in his first 10 games here uh, before the season was shut down by the coronavirus. Uh, six goals in that span was crucial. But I think the biggest development happened here uh, at the draft last June uh, when the Canucks reached out and got J.T. Miller in a trade, and they paid a lot for him, including a uh, first-round pick, uh, which they've now surrendered by making the playoffs. But I'll tell you this much. Uh, J.T. Miller was a first-round pick, and he's playing like a high first-round pick with a career season. He's been a voice of reason in the room, on the bench. Uh, he's a fiery guy. He led the team in scoring. He finished 17th in league scoring. That was the missing piece. Somebody who was given the opportunity to come here and play a much bigger role than he did in Tampa, where he kind of was reduced to a third-line role, and to still have term left on his contract. Uh, that was the home run for the Canucks. Now, Toffoli is out right now because of that. we believe he has a minor foot fracture. We're not sure. They don't disclose injuries in the postseason. He's, uh, quote-unquote, unfit to play. But if Toffoli can get back in this series at some point, the Canucks have a pretty good top six mix that I think they could throw up against anybody. You mentioned something too, Ben, uh, about the goaltending. And I think that's an intriguing storyline in this series when you look at, of course, Bennington and Jake Allen, the tandem that they've been put together. But Jacob Markstrom, and, and when you go through Vancouver's history of a Dan Cloutier and a R- Roberto Luongo, they, they have been needing that goaltender who can steal games for them in the playoffs. Is Markstrom that player? Well, I think he is, and uh, I wouldn't put much stock into the last game at the qualifying round here. I mean, whether it was the back-to-back, I mean, they played a day game, then they played a night game. They played four games in six nights, and quite frankly, you know, you can have your training camp or your exhibition game. It's just not the same. I thought uh, Markstrom looked extremely fatigued on Friday, even though they clinched uh, the series in overtime. I just thought he wasn't sealing up the short side. Pucks were going through him, and that's not Jacob Markstrom. I mean, uh, this year, uh, when he faced uh, 40 or more shots in eight games, there was a stretch where he went 7-0-1. Uh, he went 12-5-1 in another stretch here. And, you know, for the fancy stats crowd, uh, those danger shot areas, the home plate area, he was good as anybody in the league. Uh, if he sees it, he's probably going to stop it. The big challenge for him now, uh, whether he's facing Bennington, uh, tomorrow night, which I imagine he will, is to quickly gather his game. And the fact that the Canucks have had all these days off to look at video, uh, to practice, and just to hone his game. Uh, you know, we talk about different components deciding the outcome of any series. We've got a pretty good goaltending matchup here. Ben, how about Travis Green? I had a chance to catch up with him this past season in Vancouver, yeah. a very well-spoken coach. Uh, he's got a resume. I mean, just shy of a 1,000 games. You kind of look at it like Craig Berube, what he has meant to this organization here and how these players just really respect the message of Craig Berube. Do you feel like it's the same way with this Vancouver team? Because it, it seems like the message has been well-received from these players uh, looking at this head coach. Well, I don't want to date myself, but I covered Craig Berube in junior hockey, so we're going back a bit. But (laughs) thing I'll tell you about Travis Green is Travis Green commands a lot of respect because of the player he had to be. I mean, he was a, you know, he's a he's a a sniper out of the Western League. He thought he had it all figured out. Got some really tough love from Al Arbor with the Islanders, and really at the end of his career had to reinvent himself as as a shutdown center. So when you bring that resume to the coaching ranks, and he. He paid his dues in the American League with the Utica Comets. And I think what's working for him on this level is that the players understand what he went through as a player, 
what he went through uh, as a coach. His door is open. It's, it's, it's an open-door policy. Uh, he gives the leadership group a lot of rope in terms of how the Canucks are going to play and, and how they're going to conduct themselves on a given night. So uh, I think there's a real good feel in that respect. And, and let's not kid ourselves. There's a lot of pressure here, too. I mean, uh, like St. Louis, this is a hockey-mad town. And now that they're actually in the actual playoffs, uh, it's only going to be ramped up that much. I mean, they're the obvious underdog, but uh, hey, that's why you play the game. And, and the one thing about Travis Green, uh, he's got his players' attention. Okay, we're talking with Ben Kuzma of the Post Media Sports in Vancouver, talking the Canucks, the Blues opponent in the first round of the Stanley Cup playoffs, which start tomorrow night. Uh, ben, I'm curious from the youth side of this one. We've seen teams that win the Stanley Cup, like the Blues, without any Stanley Cup experience on their roster. We've seen teams that need that Stanley Cup experience. But from your perspective with this Vancouver team, they do have a really good mix of of youth and a couple of veterans on the team. Can that benefit these guys going into this playoffs rather than in the past? Well, I think JT Miller's a big key again because, of course, he plays on the line with Pedersen and uh, Brock Besser. But I think the wild card in this series is Quinn Hughes. Um, uh, this kid uh, has ice water running through his veins. Uh, he'll come in on you. If he doesn't like what he sees, he'll circle back. His edge work is amazing. I don't think I've ever seen him make a bad pass. Uh, his shot is getting better from the point, and I just think he just has a way of eluding everybody, and he's their get-out-of-jail-free card when they're trying to transition the puck, and he does it in a hurry. He's a Calder Trophy finalist for a reason. I, I think he should win it. Uh, he transcends the game. He changes the game when he's on the ice, and uh, I know he's only a rookie, but it, it's something that uh, we've even seen here uh, in the postseason where, you know, the bigger the stage, the better he plays. You know, he played for the U.S. at the World Championship as an 18-year-old, the youngest guy to ever play. Uh, in that type of a tournament. So he's known big pressure uh, from the time he played uh, with the U.S. National Development Program. So uh, uh, he's something special. And if you're looking for one guy, even though he's a rookie, who might make a difference in this series, it's probably him. Well, I know he certainly surpassed my expectations. I mean, I had an idea of what this player was going to be. I think he surprised a lot of people, and probably including a lot of Vancouver fans up there, Ben. One other player, since we're kind of going through this depth chart, I'm looking at it right now. A player, Ben, that stands out for me, not the Bo Horvat always, not the Pedersen, not the Brock Bessers, it's that little runt, Antoine Roussel. I mean, how valuable (laughs) is that player going to be in a playoff series? Uh, yeah, as long as he can can reel it in. I mean, he's basically he's playing the third line left side, and he does have a playoff pedigree. And the one thing about Rusiala, his big mantra is dragging the team into the fight, and, and that's a great thing because you know they went and signed Michael Furlan in free agency because they needed a guy like that. They thought there was production that he showed in Carolina and Calgary. They were hoping that that twenty goal production is still there. Furlan had two concussions uh, this season, had another episode in Utica on a, on a rehab stint. And in the qualifying round here, although they're not telling us, he was he only lasted one period uh, in one game. And, um, you know, if I'm a betting man and I've covered him extensively, it looks like he had more concussion-related symptoms. So he's out of the postseason. So, again, that just brings Antoine Roussel more into focus. Um, had knee surgery a year ago in April and didn't really get going until December. And it took him some time to get his game under him. But you see him now, and I don't know what it is about these players uh, during the season pause. Uh, Roussel uh, looks a lot leaner. 
and uh, he's always been mean. So, you know, as long as you can reel it in and uh, play effectively and not take penalties, you know, that, that's a key part of everything here. I just think that uh, discipline is a bit of a factor for the Blues in the round robin. And then the Canucks had uh, Tyler Myers taking nine penalties in four games. You just can't do that. Mm. As much as we're looking for, for great players to play their best, you can't win a game sitting in the box. Ben, final question for you. We appreciate you hopping on with us tonight and talking a little bit about this matchup and giving us a perspective on the Vancouver side. What do you feel like is going to be the key factor for Vancouver if they win, if they can win this series? Well, I think it's going to be goaltending. As much as we talk about a team that had the fourth-ranked power play during the regular season, they only went 1-10 against the Blues in the three-game set during the regular season. Uh, you can talk about your top players scoring, and you can talk about special teams. I think at the end of the day, if we see the Jacob Marston that we saw in the regular season, suddenly we're talking a six- or maybe a seven-game series. Ben, it's great to catch up with you. Thank you so much for giving us some perspective on this, and uh, i got a feeling we'll be talking again at some point through this best-of-seven series. Okay, guys, have a good one. Again, that's Ben Kuzma with us of Post Media Sports. We'll take a break and come back with more. Is this week in hockey here on 101 ESPN? Welcome back in Tuesday night. Alex Ferrario, Joe Vitale with you. We are winding things down here on a Tuesday night. Blues and Canucks in action tomorrow evening. That's game one. Game number two will be played on Friday night, then three on Sunday, four on Monday, and then so on and so forth. But a majority, I think three of the first four are 930 starts. So late ones for Blues fans, but it's playoff hockey. That's what we want in this. Joe, you were a penalty killer in your time in the NHL. Yeah. I'm curious on the penalty kill aspect for the St. Louis Blues in this, and I know a lot of people are too because the penalty kill hasn't been great, at least in the return to play. There's been games where they were solid, like the Dallas Stars game, they were solid up mm-hmm. until that last one uh, late into the uh, into the period. The, 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 the Vegas game is the one that got away from them a little bit. What are you seeing penalty kill-wise from the Blues right now and without an Ivan Barbashev? You know, I think the Dallas game, they made great strides. And I'm just going to talk about the improvements from the Vegas game to the Dallas Stars game because yeah. that really is the most recent game. In the first first couple of games, it seemed like they were tentative. They were second-guessing when to pressure and when to sit back. And again, that's that's timing, that's reps, and that's just getting in games. And I think now that they saw three games heading into their most previous game against the Dallas Stars, I think they're now dialed in. The biggest thing about killing a penalty is when do you go and when do you stop? You know, a lot of lot of penalty kills are extremely aggressive. Look at the Arizona Coyotes, they just they go, they hunt. Right? Caroline Hurricanes, they just go, they hunt, they have a lot of speed. We maybe lack a little speed. So Steve Ask done a great job as far as when to go and when to not go. I'll give you an example. If you see players' numbers, if the puck's on the boards and the player turns. That's go. You go. You just pressure. You just go right away. If a defenseman at the top of the key, if he's got it, you go right at him. And as soon as he moves it to the left or right, you continue that push. They call it the window wiper. You continue to push, and you push hard. Yeah. And you want to pressure them. You want to force it down to the goal line. There were times in the first couple of games we weren't pressuring down that hard, and we gave that wingman a lot of time to make a decision. Hit the seam. High slot. Shoot at the net. In that Dallas game, I believe it was Haskinen. He would move it down to Pavelski. Then Bozak, boom, he continued, and he pushed hard. He took two extra strides, pushed it down, forced it to the goal line, and then that's where the D sets up the trap. So everything is a read-off of each other. But the D weren't getting good reads because the fours weren't going hard enough, and the fours weren't getting good reads because the Ds were out of position because they didn't know where the fours were. Mm-hmm. It was just a, it was a timing thing, but I do believe that Dallas game, they made great steps in the right direction. And they're going to need it, Alex, because this Vancouver power play, 
It could be the difference. And if the Blues don't clean up their penalties, I think they'll do a little bit. But I still think they have some sick things they got to figure out. And I think the refs are going to do a better job calling it. But if they don't clean up the penalty area, they're going to be killing penalties. And you talk about a, an area of this series that could have an advantage if the Blues aren't careful is this Vancouver power play because they have some weapons. This Pedersen guy, he's a stud. Yeah, He will pick you apart. This Quinn Hughes from the point, he, he finds ways to get pucks in that. I've never seen like it. Keith Yandel is the closest thing I've seen to it. There's like 13 bodies in front of him, and he will find a little window, and he will put it there. Not going to be a hard shot. It's just gently throwing it there, and they have traffic. This power play could make a difference. So the Blues, number one, stay disciplined, stay out of the box, put your sticks down and skate, and number two, continue to move in that direction what we saw in that game against the Dallas Stars. Vladimir Tarasenko had the quote before the round robin started. He was asked about the power play, and he said the team that gets to their power play and penalty kill fastest is the team that's going to be successful in the in these in these Stanley Cup games. Meaning, power play wise, the team that's going to start scoring on their special teams advantage more they're going to be the ones that come away on top. The same with the penalty kill. And when you look at this series, and for the really the way that the officiating has been called, what was it? It was 10, 10 stick stick infractions on the Blues, 17, 17 penalties yep. in nine games. Like That, to me, will put the Blues in a hole that they can't dig themselves out of. They can't, and they just need to stay 5-on-5. Five 5-on-5, five. Five five, this Blues team can take down the Vancouver Canucks. If they can stay 5-on-5, five five, I'm even talking to the point... Or maybe don't even go on the power play all that much because yeah. we, we've seen how that can distru- disrupt the five on five momentum the Blues have built up at times. I think if they stay five on five, I think the refs put the whistles away. I think the players skate through checks, skate to positions. Sometimes live to fight another day. If, if your guy goes by you, put your stick down. If they can avoid a lot of penalties and they can keep this thing five on five, then they can grind it out. Then they can step over the red line and put it in Quinn, Quinn Hughes' corner and go in there with speed and smash him. Get the puck back, cycle, and start this this forechecking, start this offensive zone down, zone time, grind it out style that can make them so successful. But you can't do it if you're in the box. Mm-hmm. And you can't get Vladimir Tarasenko going if you're in the box. They were looking to get Vladdy going against in that Dallas game. Yeah. I thought Vladdy looked pretty good in that first. A couple good shots. He looked aggressive. But the second, it just it disrupted everything. He's completely out of rhythm. He's completely out of flow because he's sitting his butt on the bench while his team is blocking shots on a penalty kill. It, it not only sets you down, it puts you behind the eight ball if, you, if they score, but your best players, your goal scorers, are sitting on the bench and they're not in a game. And it's hard to stay in the game, especially right now, because there's no noise in the building. There's nothing going on. And these players must feel like they're on an island when it's so quiet and they're not on the ice. So it's very important for many reasons to stay out of the box in this series. Well, and it's also important, too, for the fatigue factor. I mean, we've saw we've seen the, the leads be taken away from the Blues in the third period of every one of these round-robin games, Joe. And a lot of that is because when you look at the amount of penalties that have been called, I mean, there were 11 penalties called total in that Dallas Stars game. I think there was a total of 11 in the Vegas Golden Knights game. When you got guys between power play time and penalty kill time, there's a fatigue factor that sets in for these guys because they've been off for four months. So that's going to be a major thing. If you can keep it five on five, you can keep your team a little bit ahead of the opponent in terms of the fatigue factor. Yeah, keep them in a rhythm. And not only that, but injuries. I and mean, we saw Marco Scandella, he took a shot in the penalty kill right off the top of the hand. Yeah. And those, those are stingers, man. They hurt. And they're not going to keep you out of a game, but they're going to disrupt you a little bit. So when you're killing penalties, you're, it's, it's I'm not going to call it wasted energy because it's important energy, 
But you are blocking shots and you are doing things that maybe you don't need to do in a game. And the best way for the Blues to avoid that, again, move your feet, keep your sticks down, and just fight through checks because that that that's going to be a kicker in this series. And, and if it doesn't go the Blues' way, that to me that's going to be one of the reasons why. Power play-wise, do you think the Blues are going to have success against this Canucks team? I do. I do because I think they have versatility in their in both of their units. I think you look at the top unit with O'Reilly and Shannon Petro at the top of the key. A lot of options. Perron has been an absolute rifle in that position, right and left side. Doesn't matter. One timer or off wing. He is just he's finding the pucks and he's shooting. They're gonna key in on him. They're gonna block every shot he shoots. They're gonna be so tight on him, you watch. The scouting report is out on David Perron. He is the biggest weapon on this top unit. Hmm. They have a lot of weapons on the top unit. So to me, that's number one. They have great seam passes. They have really good chemistry. They know where each other is going to be. But then the second unit is more of a shooter's unit with Pareko with one of the hardest shots in the league. Right. You have Vladimir Tarasenko that could pick a spot like no other, and that's going to be shoot, shoot, shoot. So you're going to keep the kill of the Vancouver Canucks on their toes because there's two very different looks. Some teams have two power plays that have similar looks. It's easy easy to break down. It's easy to kill. But when you're a Vancouver Canucks team and you see different units— then you start thinking, okay, this is a shooting unit. Heads up for 55. Where's 91? Okay, this is the petrol unit. Watch for that seam. Where's Perron? It's going to keep those guys' minds just boom, 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 firing. So the the versatility and keeping your opponent guessing on both of our power play units is going to play a huge advantage. I feel like that's to the advantage. The Vancouver Canucks don't have two legit power play units. They got one, one. the second one that can score. If everyone's focusing in on David Perron because he is the power play specialist, it seems like, for this Blues team, you have an opening to where Vladimir Tarasenko and Robert Thomas could not only build some chemistry together, but could score some offense and give the Blues that lead. Well, and it doesn't to me, Alex, it doesn't seem like a lot of time is going to go by. If it's not successful, you're going to see 91 on this top unit again. You think so? Yeah, I do. I think once it goes one game, maybe two, at most, if this top unit isn't clicking and this team isn't where it needs to be, that's where you put 91 in. You can't put them in now. This power play was good this year. Very good, especially on the road. Mm-hmm. So... I think it would be destructive to mess with this now and mess with this rhythm now. And they had success even in the playing games. David Perron, great goal. So we'll see where it goes, but I think 91's chomping at the bit. I think Craig Bruby's looking for any opportunity to put 91 back on that top unit whenever it starts to fizzle out a little bit. Well, we'll see tomorrow night. It starts 8.30 pregame, 9.30 puck drop. We'll come back with what's up with that and wrap it up here on This Week in Hockey on 101 ESPN. Wrapping it up tonight here with a little what's up with that and look at some of the oddities that have taken place over the NHL in these last couple of days. And Joe, let's start with a draft. We talked with Joe Micheletti about this. Have you seen the video of uh, what happened last night before the Rangers ping pong ball came out was there another ball almost got trapped in it there was a ball that <laughs> double doinked no off of the pipe tell me it was a canadian team it was a canadian team yes. guess which canadian team it was edmonton it was toronto not even better it was toronto <laughs> and the amount of fans that were watching oh. in toronto on twitter that were like no we were there got sucked i don't know how it happened just more controversy and um in my opinion con- or um conspiracy style there was there was a a weighted ball and the Rangers ball was weighted. Oh my god! And the god. Rangers ball pushed the Maple Leafs out of that tube. Good. to go right up top. Good, good. So I, I hope I hope the Edmonton and Toronto's were super light and all the American ones <laughs> were super heavy to suck up. You know this is it's amazing. It's amazing to think 
that a simple thing of a little ball barely missing that tube. Yep. Let's see what happens with this. Let's talk about this moment 15 years from now. Yeah. I think New York can win a Stanley Cup in the next 10 years. I think they can win two. You think so? I think so. I think they're wow. they are building hard now. I think they, I think once they have a goaltender, a couple of missing pieces on the back end, they have some stud forwards. They remind me a lot of the Carolina Hurricanes, where if they can get some really good defensemen, mobile defensemen, and a solid goaltender, which Joe Micheletti said they have two very good ones they like yeah. now, Gorgiev. And, I mean, you got two of them that could push out Henrik Lundqvist, who Joe said is a Hall of Famer. It's amazing. They're, they're going to win. You tr- you, so my point is this. It's amazing just a little flick of the air or just a ball doesn't go up in the tube. How that will change the trajectory of the sport forever. Yep. Look what happened with Sidney Crosby. It was, a, it was a lottery situation. Every team during that lockout all got the same amount of chance to get mm-hmm. the number one overall. Who got picked? Pittsburgh. What happened? They won three cups, and they probably will win another one before him and Evgeny Malkin and, and Chris Letang get split up for good. Yeah. So it's three, maybe four cups because of one little ball. One little ball decided to come out a certain way, and it completely changed hockey history forever. I loved how they did it, too. They made it so precise. Like, you watched the guy pull the balls out of the package and yeah. showed it to the camera <laughs> and dropped case. it in. In a case? Yeah, in the case. Like a they ball are, case. A ball case. They're showing every little inch so people can stop claiming conspiracy, but I'm going to yell it from the mountaintops because I knew the Rangers were going to get that pick. I, I feel like everyone watching it, because you know you can see a little bit of the Rangers? Yeah on the side so everyone's like kind of leaning their head like Ooh. and then he turned it a little bit more and he's like oh, okay here we go That's so it. I loved it so another one for you Joe uh, the the Tampa Bay and Columbus game earlier today now I was watching some of the highlights from it at the end of a shift Victor this just goes to show you the rivalry that these two teams have built at the end of a shift Victor Hedman skates over towards the benches like he's going to jump off but instead of going to his bench he just jumps up on the wall of the Blue Jackets bench and sits there for a couple of seconds come on the Columbus guys got heated they tried to like shove him off of the bench but I loved it because that was just Victor Hedman just toying with those just guys just getting in the head and he's yes. just being Victor Hedman hey if I'm Victor Hedman I'm doing that and then then some I mean some players are untouchable in this league some players could do literally whatever they want and I think Victor Hedman almost at that status now where you could do it and almost your opponent's like ah whatever is it the size of them that you could do that with you're Victor Hedman you can do it is it the size though like you look at Victor every like like Victor Hedman to me now he's not the aggressive type but he's he's the size of Chris Pronger to where like when you see Pronger out there you're like it's not worth it yeah and he's nowhere near as tough as Prongs but another thing that Victor Hedman's probably thinking in his head we talked about earlier in the show I got Pat Maroon over here and if these guys want to say anything at all, I know I got Patty. I'll let him not take it. I Patty last year, but now I got Patty now, and that's a good feeling. If I'm a player on Tampa Bay or Vegas's team, I will run my mouth as much as I know I can. <sighs> Who's going to mess with Ryan Because Reeves? nobody's messing with either of those two players. No one's going to mess with you if you're on Vegas. Did- and that's why that's why those players are valuable, <laughs> and they're hard to find. Yep. Uh, Ryan Reeves, he, he is a one in a million. He, he is an outlier because he can play physical and you're tough, right. and he's mean. But he can play hockey. He, he's combined it all together. Mm-hmm. The gladiators, the, the enforcers, the fighters, they're gone. Yeah. If you can't play hockey, you can't play anymore. But when you can find a guy like Ryan Reeves, I mean, he, he's in a class of his own. I right agree. Now. Zach Cassian is another one. Yep. Plays on the top line, and he will fight anyone. I mean, those are very rare players, and there's a market for him. Yeah. There's a market. Milan Lucic was that guy for a while, too. Paid. You're right. Yeah. Milan Lucic. Uh, I, I, was, I was curious, too. Did you ever have... Whether it was the check into the bench from the opponent or somebody come over to your bench, on not on your team in the middle of a game. You know, we had Jalmerson 
we were at Soldier Field. We were playing the outdoor game in the blizzard. <laughs> Penguins, Hawks. That place looked cold. And someone dove in front of our bench on the Chicago Black. We got a penalty. And we were like, oh my God, get up. I think it was like, it wasn't Timmy, it was Sod. And then Jomerson was looking at our bench and he's like, shut the up. And then I remember I got a, a hit from Tony Granado, like from the back, like standing up. I was like, don't you ever talk to her? I freaked out just because I was like, I, I, you know, listen, I didn't really want to care. I don't care. Like, you can talk all you want to our bench, but when my coach tells me to say something, you're the uh, most nonchalant guy until like somebody tells you to do something. Then yeah. it's like just a switch turns. Know your role. Find Chill. a role. If you, if, if you don't like your role, deal with it. Know your role, find your role, then change your Just role. Just deal with your role. If you like it in the NHL, find a role. And if you don't want to find your role, then get the hell out. I'm curious if Victor Hedman jumps up on that board if John Tortorella is the one that's yelling the loudest. I probably would have squirted water down his pants side. All over the butt. <laughs> All over? All over. Weigh him down a little bit, slow him down. Is that what it does? Yeah, yeah. Lots really? Of, it weighs weight. you down? Oh, water weight, yeah. Is that the same when Corey Perry poured the water in your glove? Yeah, I was like so weighted down. That's why a lot of players change their gitch between periods. Like Is that fully why? Un- yeah, fully undone. They like the feel of a dry feel too. Yeah. But, I mean, you hold up Under Armour, un- undergarments that are soaking wet versus dry. It's it's a difference of probably four pounds. Who would have thought? Yeah. Who would have thought? Every inch helps. <laughs> Amen to that. Amen to that. Final one, Joe. Before we get out of here, for the coaching staff, quarter zip, or suits. Suits. Got to go suits. Get suit. the suits You got to go sides, right? I mean, if we were 4-0, and then keep the quarter zip, but you're not 4-0. You're on 4. I think there's an intimidation factor with those suits. There's something when about- Craig Berube and Steve Ott and Van Ryan have them. There's something about when they show up. I think it kind of sends like a nonchalant right? feel throughout the room. Oh, it's just a practice game or practice. Coach has got his quarter zip on. Put on a suit. Let's go. <laughs> can make you get after those officials that much more with that suit on. Come on, Notes. Let's go. I can't wait, Joe. Let's do it. Let's do it. Playoff hockey tomorrow night. It's been fun, baby. That's Joe Vitale. I'm Alex Ferrario. Tomorrow night, 9.30 puck drop against the Vancouver Canucks. 8.30 pregame show. All of it right here on 101 ESPN. Thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you tomorrow night. Blues hockey, playoff hockey, right here on 101 ESPN.